0: Hi, friends. It's Abby Feeder, certified life and fertility coach, and you're listening to The Fertility Chick. This show is all about the path to parenthood, which is never the same for everyone, and our guests' professional success along the way. Today, we have another incredible fertility coach on the episode. Elizabeth King is a dear friend of mine. She is a wonderful, empathetic, vibrant, smart, witty, genius, compassionate fertility coach. She has a company called Elizabeth King Coaching, and she also teaches other people how to become fertility coaches because, as she says, we will never be at a loss for clients, and that is definitely the truth. Elizabeth had three boys between the ages of 40 and 45, so she talks about the insanity that is her life and how they came to be and some of her heartache and struggle along the way. I cannot wait for you to hear some of the nuggets she has to share. Please enjoy. Here's Elizabeth. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you, Miss Abby. You look beautiful today.
1: As do you. I love that color that you have on.
0: Thank you. I feel like we have so much to go through. So let's start with um, how you ended up with three boys. Want to start there?
1: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> my Three amazing little men. Um, Yeah. I mean, that's a long, long loaded question. Mm-hmm. Let's get it. Let's hear it. I was just saying to somebody today that I was never that person that was like, you know, we all have friends that all I, I've always wanted to be a mom. And um, I can't wait to get married and have kids. And like that, those words letter, literally never exited my mouth. Mm-hmm. It was not something that I thought about. same with like getting married. I was never somebody like that dreamt about my wedding dress. and in fact, w- my first wedding, the first time we went wedding shopping, wedding dress shopping with my family or whoever, I like cried because I'm like, I'm not feeling the way that I think I'm meant to be feeling about this. Mm. I just was never that person. I was always driven by work and, like very matter of fact and so these ideas of like an idyllic situation never really were in my consciousness so to speak all that to say because I was very black and white and I was in the corporate world having my own business but my clientele were in the corporate world so that's who I serviced and a lot of them I saw going through fertility and were much older than I was and I got divorced at 30 and Everyone's like, you you gotta go freeze your eggs. And I was like, okay, that kind of makes sense. You know, like I wanna have kids at some point, but again, not on my radar. But it was kind of like I had my 401k, I had my house, I had my eggs frozen. Like I was kind of checking the boxes off of like what I needed to do to have things where they should be, so to speak, right? Um and he said for me to come back later. He's like The way that the technology is today, which mind you, it is different now as we're speaking in 2023 than it was then was different. So he said, hopefully you'll meet somebody, you know, come back if you haven't in a few years. So I go back at 36, still single. I'm like, okay, you know, (laughs) here I am again. And he's like, okay, we can do this now. And the technology that I froze my eggs with and did IVF is the same that's happening right now. Like the same way that they freeze and they thaw and everything. So he felt good about that. I had 13 eggs retrieved and 11 frozen at that time. So again, I didn't really think much of it. I was like, okay, moving on with my life. Check that
0: box. And here we go. Did you have people around you that were doing any of this thing to be like, that's a good number. That's not a good number. You should do it. You know, anything. Okay. Nobody. So you're flying blind, basically. Nobody around you was freezing eggs. You had nobody talk to you about it. It wasn't a thing. It was
1: not a thing. Unless you had some sort of medical condition, that that was why you were doing it. And in fact, y- you know, and most people who know me know that that's kind of where I started my my journey and intro into fertility as well. And with this specific fertility doctor was my sister um, was diagnosed with a rare cervical cancer when I was 19, and she was 26. And so that was the intro into, I didn't even know whether a cervix was, I didn't know about anything about eggs. I just my first thing to her was, I'll have a baby for you. I didn't know what that entailed, or what that meant, or if that was possible, or whatever. And so she had met with this fertility doctor initially, because that's what you do when you're 26, and you have no kids, and you're basically told, you have to have a radical hysterectomy and everything is coming out of your body. Mm. So no, when I did it, which was now, I just, I think I had my 11 year anniversary a couple weeks ago, 1127 is when I did my egg retrieval. It wasn't a thing. Mm. And I was again, working in a corporate world when, and I wanted to tell everybody my secret because I had a lot of single friends that were in my same boat and we weren't having those open conversations. Nobody knew that I went to do that. I think I told one person a couple of years later who had just gotten divorced. And I was like, maybe you might want to do this, you know? Mm-hmm. And even the clinics were not as readily available as they are today, then.
0: I'm just thinking 2023, 11 years, 2012 is really when I think it was officially approved. That outcomes from frozen eggs were potentially as good as frozen embryos or "quote unquote" natural births. I think it was exactly eleven years ago. Like, what timing for you?
1: Well, that's part of why we he said to come waiting. back. Yeah, we were waiting for that because prior to that, as Abby's referring to, is the thawing process and the because the freezing process was different. The way that they they didn't do this quick freeze that they do now. It then made the thawing process different, and it's same obviously for eggs and embryos. Um, but the consistency of an egg versus embryo, and the way that that ended up was very different than it is now. And so that's why he was like, mm, "I'd rather you just wait a minute, see if you meet anybody, or see if anything changes with technology, and then come back." So yeah, that there was a reason because I was still single even at thirty five, but it hadn't hadn't changed. That.
0: Yeah. Okay, so you froze 11. Did you feel a little bit relieved?
1: Yeah, I did feel relieved. I felt some of that like dating pressure was off too. Yeah. I I, again, never felt, I don't know. I was talking to my sister or somebody about it recently. That same thing with the dating thing and the kid thing. I never felt the urgency of, I better hurry up and get on these dating apps because I might not find anybody. I was just like, it'll happen when it's going to happen. And maybe it was- I don't know. I kind of believe it was an inner knowing that it was it would all be as it should be. But I never had this sense of panic of like, Oh, my God, I'm I'm not gonna find somebody or whatever. And so I was very fortunate that that wasn't a thing for me. And maybe because I was so distracted by my work and coaching and all the things that I was doing, I was always very, for lack of a better term, a workaholic. So I didn't really have a lot of time and space to to think of other things. So much I kept my life very full and busy as a single girl. I dated, but nobody substantial, or if that's even the right word, until I got reconnected with my husband. So we were had been friends. And when I was 40, had run into him again. And as soon as we sat down next to each other, I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna marry this guy. And the next thing out of my mouth, I had just had a a fibroid. I can't remember I had a fibroid diagnosis or surgery, which came first at that point, but it was essentially like, hi, good to see you. Um, And if you want to move forward in this relationship, I'm not really sure what my fertility is going to look like. So would you be willing to do IVF and all those things? And he had a, he has a son already. So I didn't know if he would be even open to having any more children. But at that point, it was like, I knew I like it switched on Mm -hmm. that going from no, I'm okay. I think it's just going to be, it's just going to happen when it's meant to happen to seeing Dave and then being like, okay, ready, put me, put me in coach. Rewind. How did you reconnect with him? So we both have businesses that are in the trade show event industry. Um, we had lost touch for about seven, six or seven years. And we were, some friends were all at the bar at the win and they're like, Dave King's here. I'm like, Oh my God, he is. Let me call him. We were down at the bar, came down and that was it. So that was it? My the company that I have hires him to help with some things. So um, I had still been working with his company,
0: but I hadn't, I hadn't seen him in person for a long time. Amazing. Amazing. I never knew that part of your story. Okay. So you and Dave fall in love, get married, you have fibroid surgery, and then you're like, Oh, I have these eggs on ice let's see what we can do.
1: No, I have the fibroid surgery. I'm working with the fertility doctor. I'll rewind a little bit on that too, because I think it's important for people to know. I had my OB. I was, my periods were funky. They, something had changed with my period. So I went into the OB there. They did an ultrasound and said, you have fibroids, but they're small. It's not a problem. Something in my gut was like, "Eh, let me just go back to this fertility doctor to check with to to make sure it's not a problem. And he said, yeah, it actually is a big problem because of where they're located. Mm. Um, And so he recommended a gynecological oncologist to do my surgery based on my age and where they were located and not wanting to get more scar tissue and all the things. Um, And so I just think that it's important to note that sometimes I feel like the OBs are don't see it in the same way that uh, fertility and RE might see those things. And mm-hmm. if you have any kind of doubt in that, go see a specialist. Follow it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wish, you know, this is something you and I both wish we could scream from rooftops all day, every day, because I do, I. it's so easy on this side of it when we're sort of like, oh, we learned our lesson and hindsight was 20 and thank God I followed my gut. Yeah. But I think sometimes when you're in it, you don't, your gut's not loud enough. And so, how do you push yourself? I don't know that there's an answer, but like, how do you push yourself to really cross every T and dot, every I, and understand the importance of that in the healthcare realm, especially with the high costs of healthcare? And people are like, well, my insurance won't cover it, so I'm not gonna do it. Like, what is the magic formula we can do to get people to follow their gut in this way?
1: You know, I think because, you know, the blessing and the curse that I was exposed to this at such a young age with my sister, and it was such an urgent situation of like, she just went in for a regular, she wanted to get her pill refilled. refilled. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the doctor's like, you haven't been in for a while. So you need to come in to do this. And then it was a terminal cancer. Like there literally is nobody on the planet that has survived her type of cancer except for hers. So from that moment wow. on, women's wellness and the urgency around that, I do not take lightly and I don't think anybody should. So she had no symptoms, nothing whatever, everything was fine and like in the moment it was like, "Okay, you could die and so you need to have surgery tomorrow." And by the way, nobody else still now it's 27 years later has survived this before. So I think knowing that now, especially the way healthcare is and I love doctors, we need them and So this is not a slight to doctors, but the way that the healthcare system is, you really do need to be your own advocate, especially in women's wellness and where things come there are so many intricate parts and overlays into why we need these parts and what they need for our, our life and those sorts of things. Not to say a liver and a heart aren't that way, but they have our reproductive area has multiple functions and reasons for us to be on top of it, so to speak.
0: Yeah. And they also interact with our brain and our blood flow and our blood vessels. And like, sometimes we're like, oh, well, we'll just take out this part and fix everything. But it's actually, of course, more complicated than that. Okay. And did your sister, did that sister go on to have children? She did not. Okay. Mm -mm. And if she had said to you, give me one of your frozen eggs, would you have? 100%. Okay. Mm Okay. Okay. I won't keep going down that road. I'm just curious. (laughs) Okay. So you're with Dave now. Your fibroids are not in a great place. So you knew you were having this surgery. Yeah. And how did you two move forward with, like, he was like, Yeah, I'm going to, I'm willing to do IVF if we need to. Yeah. And then what were your steps in terms of your family building?
1: So the right after I healed from that fibroid surgery, the doctor's like, Okay, you're 40 now. Like, you need to start trying if you're going to try. So we did. And that first month that we tried, we got pregnant. So we were like, oh my gosh,
0: you know. You're 40 years old now, 41, something, right? Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, we're miracles. Totally.
1: I no joke, Abby. I was in um Atlanta at the Weston for a work trip. I got <laughs> down on my knees. I did three pregnancy tests. I got down on my knees after the three pregnancy tests in the bathroom of the Weston, said positive, and I thanked God. I could not believe it. I get chills even saying it because I knew even then that it was a long shot, you know, Mm. and we got that long shot. And so I often say now too that, I'm so grateful for that 100%. But at the same time, I then still had this like false sense of, oh, it's It's so easy, right? Mm. Like, Mm. we can do this. And things weren't so easy. So we didn't actually tap into that those eggs I say um with a little bit of a chuckle because I was very determined to keep trying mm-hmm. without going down that road and I, I'm not sure it was like my parachute it was the last resort for mm-hmm. some reason I just felt mm-hmm. like you know we'll pull that when we need to and it was after the last miscarriage that I was like, okay
0: we need to. Let's see what we got there. Well, okay. So the first, I feel like you should name your son. Your sons have amazing names, but they should have been named Win Weston and then whatever the third one was. <laughs> um, right. right? You can change it now. <laughs> um, okay. So did so that first pregnancy did not turn into a viable child. So what happened? The first pregnancy did. The first one did.
1: Yeah. So, so the, that, that was it. Your Westin, miracle one.
0: Yes. So yeah, Okay. So, that was so good. Then a so miscarriage after that. Then, uh, how, how was your pregnancy and birth at 41? 40, um, 41, 40, 41?
1: Fine. As far, as far as like the age goes. So that's another thing. I don't really feel like the age necessarily was anything I did have. Um, you know, it wasn't easy. Pregnancy was never my friend. My complications with pregnancy really came with number two and number three more so. Um, but you know, when we see people that are on. Crazy bed rest and all that sort of stuff. I always say, like mine was fine. Yeah. I I could deal with all that. Healthy baby, I'm fine. It's not fun, but that's okay. Okay. So you
0: wanna go for number two.
1: Yeah. So as soon as I had no as soon as I was pregnant with number one, I had this knowing I had to have three. Mm. Which mind you, coming from the person that was like, it wasn't in my mindset. Yeah, of course. No. And then here out of the blue, it's like, okay, I must have three children over the age of 40. I don't even know where this came from. And or if I could have made that voice in my head or this knowing as I call it, stop, I would have but it was bigger than me. It was Mm -hmm. like I needed to get these little souls together. And I was just kind of the vessel and I needed to figure out how to make that happen. And here we go on the quest of how do we do that and what does that look like and do we do IVF and we went you know at one point down the road of everything's ready we have the medications at the pharmacy we have the you know the sharpie marker on my back as we speak and I went in for my last baseline test that that morning and I get the call at 10 o'clock you're pregnant so You know, it was like constantly an up and a down and an up and a down. And then we lost that pregnancy. And so it was like this weird, just the only way it's like bumper cars, you know, Mm -hmm. like you feel like you're like, you're going and then all of a sudden you get hit Mm -hmm. and then you're going and then you get hit. And, um, and so again, after the second loss is when we said, let's thaw the eggs and see what we can fertilize there. Um, and we had...
0: What had happened there? Uh, well, let me just ask you one thing about your first oh, loss. Yeah, of course. Like, so this your first loss. What 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 were you? What was it like for you? Because it, I know that in terms of the trajectory of your life, obviously, and your career, it changed things. So, can you talk a little bit about what it felt like? Of course, I can. Um,
1: so, I had already been life coaching since 2008. My first loss happened in 2018 or 2017, 2017 or 2018, I can't remember. I didn't know anybody who had a miscarriage. I not, no one in my family had had one. And or if they did, they hadn't talked about it. I now know they didn't have them. And so I had, I was watching Shaws of Sunset one night at nine o'clock at night. Very bad TV. No judgments. <laughs> no judgment. <laughs> got, up, no judgment. Yeah, got up to go to the bathroom and there was like a nickel size Dark red blood, like bright red blood, I would say, not dark. Um and so I called my doctor again. It's nine o'clock at night. And he was very casual. Again, we had a really good relationship at this point because I'd known him for quite a long time. Even though this yeah, I'd only had one live birth with him. I had had a lot of time with him. So he was very like nonchalant about it. Well, if you want to come in and see the heartbeat tomorrow morning, you can if you want to just wait for your regular weekly appointment. So when you're seeing a fertility doctor, you go every week. And um, because even though I had conceived naturally with my children, because I had had the fibroid surgery and I had this relationship with him, he followed me throughout all of my pregnancies. And so we went in in the morning, of course, I'm going to go in and find out what's happening. Right. And there was no heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And so it was very, it was not dramatic in any way. There was not a lot of blood. There was no cramping. There was nothing. It was just like this small amount of
0: red blood. And that was it. And it was just like over. And it was done. Mm-hmm. And and you have an infant at home, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And so, again, having the first one go easily, right? You have this false sense of like, oh, this is no problem. And this is how it goes. You get pregnant and then you have a baby, nine months later, 10 months later, you know. Um, and so I really felt like the rug was pulled from out from under us. Mm-hmm. I felt like if this was meant to be, why did this happen? Mm-hmm. How is this possible? I was devastated, like devastated doesn't even like, yeah, say, like, the yeah. extent of how I think I like didn't talk to anybody for like a week. Yeah. I just needed to like go inward, I needed to process what happened. I needed to figure out the emotions that I was feeling around this, why isn't anybody talking about this mm-hmm. in my world? Like if one in four people are going through this, why the F hasn't anybody told me that this has happened to them, right? Mm-hmm. And so then that next week, once I started to come out of my room, it was, I heard of two other people that I knew, friends of mine that had just kind of recently had it happen, but they didn't tell anybody. And so I, I said it to them. And I was like, what, what gives, you know? And that's where I realized that's when I actually started writing my first book that I'm now finishing, which was emotions that we're having of this guilt and shame and brokenness and whatever. Everybody's feeling that same way, which is what kind of keeps us in silence, which is why I'm like, we have to break the silence of this ridiculous situation. Generations of families would push this under the rug and pretend like it didn't happen. Yeah. And then you would feel so alone in this. And I just wanted to feel hope after. I wanted to talk to somebody that was like, don't worry, this happened to me. And you'll and have- we're fine. Yeah, yeah, we're fine. And you'll have your family.
0: Just and how, how did you and Dave do through it? Did you Were you on the same page or not really?
1: Overall, yes. He actually had had a miscarriage with his first wife. And I don't think I knew that until after this, Mm. the situation then too was very different. So he had experienced it to a degree and went on to have a son, Colby, and then went on to have Holden, our oldest, together. And so I think the way that he kind of digested it was a little bit easier than me, because he had been through it and seen that there is hope, and that Mm -hmm. you can continue on. I do think that it's different for men and women. Yeah. Anyway, I think he wasn't prepared for what my body had gone through. I did the DNC to test the embryo and see if there was anything there that we needed to know about. And it was fine. I mean, it ha- it was a trisomy. Mm. I say tr- fine in the fact that it wasn't
0: anything that,
1: you know. It was, it was not- actually
0: diagnosable, which is pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. So yeah. Knew that it was like a random thing and that they say like it could happen to anybody. Of, co- of course, at my age, they say mm-hmm. it's probably because of your age.
0: Right.
1: I don't subscribe to that at all. But that's kind of the blanket statement. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was the physical part of it. I think he wasn't prepared for I had a lot of a lot of bleeding for a long time. And the emotional state of me, I don't I do not think he was prepared for that. I was not prepared for that either. Again, I w- had worked in mental health as a coach for many years. and. Was this literally hit me like a freight train from left field? Mm. Like, I felt like I was sideswiped. Mm. And the story that we had of our kids, you know, being together and, you know, that due date, I was gonna say the announcement, the due date, the what our car was gonna look like with two car seats in the back, how they were gonna be in preschool together, how our nanny was gonna handle both of them together. Like, we had it all sorted out mm. because. We just didn't have that experience prior to to think otherwise, right? Like first time was fine.
0: That's really, I think, a re- uh, an important point we do talk about, you and I talk about, but also we talk about on the show is that once you get those ideas in your head of what it's going to look like, that can really be the hardest part to let go of and release because you're yeah. like, but, but, but we had it all planned, but they were going to go do you know, and, but this was going to be their sign and this was going to be their birthday. And this is what the Christmas would have looked like right after and whatever it is very hard to release. I think.
1: Totally. We write the story as soon as you get that positive test. Yes. Like, I don't yes. care who you are, what you are, what your history has been, whether you've had losses or not, we still write it to a certain degree. People that have had losses, they may not go as in depth anymore about what that story looks like, but they're, it's still there to yeah. a certain degree. There's still that hope, which I love. I want there still to be that hope. Of course. But so we, we think that if we don't go forward with the story as much as we did before, that maybe it won't hurt as bad when it happens. And I'm here to tell you, it will still effing hurt. Yeah, And it's okay to try to protect yourself in waves. But it's also okay to still dream about what that story is going to be like when you get that
0: positive test. Yes, yes. Okay, so second loss, you thaw your eggs, what happens? Um. So, and this is a testament to the
1: fact that it kind of gets in your rearview mirror a little bit. But Eight of them did not make the thaw at all. So that left us with three. Three got fertilized. And then those three didn't make it to blast. Mm. So
0: I was in the line at the DMV, get the call from my doctor. And of course, the universe was waiting for you to be at the DMV to get that call, you know? (laughs)
1: Yeah, (laughs) I feel like everybody can has that moment, right? If you've been down this road, like where you were, what you were wearing, what time of day it was, whatever. And I think again, because for the doctor, it's just another day. He's pretty, I mean, he's sad for us, but not really. Cause he knows that we have the kid and his thing was always like, you can get pregnant. Like right. he was pretty convinced about that. And, and, and it was like, it's easy for you to say, because you're on the other side of this and you're not testing all the time and you're not like disappointed every month. And You're not debating whether or not we do IUI, IVF, or whatever next, right? And you're not 42 knocking on the door, 43, you Mm -hmm. know, and have this knowing that I'm supposed to bring all these kids to the Mm -hmm. world, you Mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, that that really left me of like, okay, now what do we do, right? Do we? And my doctor uh, didn't believe in doing IUIs. He felt like the success rate wasn't good enough to put people down that road. And so I knew if that was something that we wanted to do that I would have to go to another clinic. And so we decided to try naturally a little bit more. We did get pregnant again, um, naturally. And then that was my number two. After him, we had another miscarriage. And that's when I had even more difficulty with the recovery. I had fetal tissue left over and the doctor was like no we got everything everything's fine i'm like mm, something's not fine it literally looks like a murder in our bed even weeks after you yeah. know like i the bleeding i was taking all the medication that we all know of to to get the bleeding to stop would not stop and so i knew something else was going on so i did the second and third uh opinions and that's where it came back that there was fetal tissue and again figuring out what do i what do we do? Like, do we do another DNC to get that? And I was kind of like, no, I'm just going to hope that it passes and it's it goes. After that, it was, we kind of did a, a calendar of, are we going to wait, you know, three months, not trying naturally. If it doesn't work, then we're going to do one round of IUI with this new doctor to see if that works. And if that doesn't work, then we'll try a round of IVF. And kind of just, we came up with this was our fast tracked plan essentially based on my age because mm-hmm. I was not a spring chicken and didn't have a lot of time to be messed around with the situation anymore. Um, and so ended up getting pregnant with my third. Um, we did do a round of IUI and I got pregnant right after we did that round of IUI. So um, and I should say in between we did medicated cycles, um, some mm-hmm. natural medicated cycles. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing happened then. So you know, and that's your like, three. That's my three. And it's crazy because I think people that go on this journey, and we've had this conversation before too. You tend to compare yourself to somebody else, even if not on this journey, right? Of like somebody who may have gone through something. Well, I didn't have it that bad. So yeah. you know, so and so has it way worse. It it's not a competition of who worse or whatever. It's feels real for you in that moment. And it's heavy for you in that moment. And it doesn't matter if somebody else has had, you know, in a different way than you've had. And so I just want to make that note because I went through that for a long time of what well, it was actually really easy for us in hindsight compared to what most people had, but it felt really, really hard for us at the time. And I mean, even your story, Abby, is, you know, much more difficult than mine and ours. Um, but then we can always you can always find somebody who's was easier and always find somebody's who is harder. And there is always a reason for you to be exactly where you are at in your story. And so just to remember that you don't have to feel insignificant or more significant than the next in what you're going through.
0: Totally. Your your feelings are just as valid. Nobody gets to judge what's better or worse or easier right. or harder for right. sure.
1: And if you need the help during that time, I guess that's where that's leading is. You can get the help at any point. Right. You don't have to have a gazillion losses or failed
0: transfers or whatever in order to get help. That is such a good point. I think people feel like they have to earn, right, the support, and that's crazy. That it's crazy. crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, why don't we just make it easier on ourselves from the beginning? So we never feel like we have to work hard to earn any piece of it. 100%. You know?
1: Yes. And that's I know. even like what I try to teach my kids. Like, I, yeah. I don't want them to feel you have to work hard. I mean, granted, we want them to have good work. Of course. Day, you know, no. talking about separate things here. but Right. Also, like hit the easy button when you can. Yes. If you can yes. find somebody to help support you through that and get you there faster without the struggle as much or as hard or as long then by all means, sign me up for that. And that's kind of the first thing that Dave, my husband was saying when, when I bought, okay, I'm going to change my life coaching business to this. He was like, of course, like, yeah. why didn't we have that? He's like, yes, I would have paid anything to have exactly. somebody help you through this process. Because he's like, I didn't know what to say to you. I didn't, I could love you as much as I did. And you know, anything was okay for him. But he knew what I wanted and he saw me struggle and me suffer. And that's where it's so amazing now that there's so many people that are able to help support through this process.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So tell me how you did pivot from like, when did your light bulb moment happen that you were going to move from life coaching to fertility coaching?
1: Yeah. So again, I can remember that like yesterday during that first loss was um, at my clinic, they had the beds for retrievals dncs all the things next to each other and you had that drape in between so the couple next to us was literally like two feet you could like touch their bum through the,
0: mm-hmm. through the drape next Certain, to us. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and i heard them talking about their retrieval and how much how what their follicle count was and how many they would actually get and all of this stuff and you know it's the, that excitement when you finally make that decision of like okay we're gonna we're gonna go down this road and I was sincerely, genuinely excited for this couple. At the same time, two feet from them, devastated. And my baby literally was being ripped from me, right? Mm -hmm. And I knew that we're just, we need help. These people need help in this situation. And as much as I had, you know, had the ease of going through the process before, I had been through IVF before. I had um, seen what that journey was like of doing the stimulation and knowing what that meant and yeah you may have 20 eggs but that doesn't mean they're going to be fertilized and that doesn't mean so I had that knowing even though Dave and I hadn't gone through it together Mm -hmm. Um, and even through that first pregnancy with Holden of going through the the weekly visits and stuff too like you just I just knew I knew that I needed to help people in this way because I'd been in that seat with, at the fertility doctor where I was so anxious and teaching myself all the things. And again, I was fortunate that I had been exposed to this for a very long time versus somebody now Googling all the things themselves, you know?
0: Right. Which is also not something we advocate for, for the record. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like exactly. our, our tagline, like we save you from Dr. Google. Yes. Yeah. I always say Dr. Google must have finished last in his class because he's got an opinion on everything I one know. way or the other, you know. know. OK, so that's how the idea was born. And talk me through what that's looked like for you.
1: Yeah. So same thing as when I became life coach life coaches were not a thing in 2000. Right? Like, oh, yeah, you're, you're from California, you're a life coach, and you probably eat sushi. And I was like, Oh, yeah, I, I do. You know, like, yeah. I'm a typical California, whatever. Fertility coaching wasn't a thing really that or uh, that I knew of at that mm-hmm. point. Um, And then once I kind of started to look into it, yes, they existed. And I'm happy to say that they did. But it wasn't something that was openly talked about, openly marketed. Um, mm. when I went back to my clinic after that, when I thought this is what I'm doing, I'm like, who do you have supporting your patients? You know? And it was like, oh, well you can look on the resolve website. Um, and then we have a therapist, but she really only helps the people that are, you know, going through kind of genetic things or whatnot. So that to me was like, okay, well we have a little bit of a, a mountain to climb with educating people that this exists because mm-hmm. i know from my experience in being in four different fertility clinics um sitting there in the waiting room with lots of other women nobody's looking at each other nobody's talking to each other and everybody is having the same anxieties the same feelings and the same emotions and i would guess that maybe one or 2% of those people were getting supported through that nobody sets you up for knowing that this is going to be your life. Nobody thinks you're going to struggle with getting pregnant. Everybody's trying not to get pregnant or taught that that's really the issue. And, you know, I've gone on to say all the time that fertility, like struggles are as real as cancer struggles. And the Mayo Clinic did a study in 2013 on that. And the reason that I love that is not only because I'm a big geek on data, but also because it validates our feelings, right? yes. It really tells you you are not crazy for feeling so funky about this. Like this is a real thing. You really do need to have somebody to talk to you through this, you know.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So that was what the pivot looked like. It was kind of like, okay, here we go. Let's figure out how we're going to do this and educate people that this is a thing. And then, you know, it's it's my passion. It's my mission. It's what I love. And there's no bigger joy, second to my family, that helps me to get through the day knowing that I can help someone else.
0: Absolutely. And so how from your Elizabeth King coaching and then Elizabeth King coaching and fertility coaching, can you talk to me about how you birthed an academy to train other people if they would like to be coaches?
1: Yes. So again, based on knowing that the this industry is something that is growing and based on the last few years and the world and how things have changed, I really do believe that we're just unfortunately going to see more and more struggles around fertility. And with that needs, you know, we have coaches for business, we have coaches for getting divorced, we have coaches for all these things. We need people that want to show up to help support and serve other couples that are going through this and whatever way that that looks like. And I had a lot of random people come to say to me, how can I do what you're doing? I'm a nurse, I'm a this, I I work with women. Um, how can I do what you're doing? And so I would send them to other um, other courses. And then I realized, you know what, there's a little bit of a difference in what I do and what I teach versus what some of these other coaches that I was seeing or the other coaching of the coaches, I should say, we're doing. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we came up with the Fertility Coach Academy, where we help coach now other coaches who want to help serve and support men and women that are going through their fertility journey. And it doesn't mean that you have had to struggle yourself. It just means that you have a, a passion for women's wellness, and or men for that matter, too, I would say we do see more women coming because they are, tend to be the ones that push a little harder and faster for things to move along than men do. Um, and now it's kind of flourished into this beautiful experience for people to go out and spread. The way that I say, it's always like a domino effect, that if we can help to curate the information for one person to go on to help serve and support someone else, then that just has this beautiful um, ripple effect in the world for people that really do need
0: the support that are going through this to not feel alone. I love it. Okay, well, this is going to come out during holidays. Still, what are some of your holiday tips for people going through infertility? I know you and I are both armed with a lot of them.
1: Yeah, I think the first and foremost is it's okay to not be okay, and it's okay to sit it out. It, yep don't put the pressure on yourself to show up to all the things or any of the things for that matter, right? If you want to like take a rain check on the whole year of holiday stuff, by all means do that. I can't tell you how many times I've been on calls with clients and they're at Thanksgiving or some holiday party like in the bathroom or the in-laws bedroom calling me hysterically because they're just not feeling it. It's yeah. okay to, to not show up or to just say like, Um, This is what I'm going through. Or you don't even have to explain yourself. So that's my first thing. Um, And I don't know how you feel about that, Abby. Same. Yeah.
0: Same. 100% same.
1: Yeah. There's a lot that goes on and you never know what can be the trigger for you that day or that time or whatever it may be. And so sometimes, you know, it may be the easy way out and people say like, you're not trying so hard. It doesn't matter
0: what other people Mm. say. What do you? Totally. Right. Right. We never know where the triggers are going to come. We might think we're totally prepared to handle them and then we're just not and the sucker punch comes completely unexpectedly. So, Right.
1: And nobody wants to deal with that. So if we no. avoid that, by all means, do Yes.
0: That. <laughs> Agree.
1: Self-preservation. And that's kind of the, the biggest thing that I talk about the most too is self-preservation. That looks different for everybody. So if that means not talking to a sister-in-law that kind of rubs you the wrong way or a friend group or whatever, do that. Give yourself... Yeah whatever reason you need to to not participate that's that's totally fine um finding what it is that does ground you during the holidays and again that could be going outside getting your feet in the dirt you know as silly as it sounds hugging a tree getting some fresh air putting together a playlist from high school that just brings you back to a time where you didn't have the responsibilities that you have now of all the things rent mortgage trying to make a baby, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we both have podcasts, but I'm the first one to say the music really does connect you to a certain vibration in your body that brings you into something. So if you can get back to, again, finding that playlist that you're like, Oh my God, that reminds me of my girlfriends in high school or college or whatever. Like it, it really does get you to a different level. So figuring out what it is for you and then creating I talk about every day creating something and whether that's the playlist or with playing with Play-Doh or a coloring book or whatever that is just we're wanting to ultimately create a human life. So if we can create something every day, do that and just have that that knowing of I'm able to create I can create and mm-hmm. that's enough for today. And today it might be a spreadsheet and tomorrow it might be a snowman with Play-Doh because that's all Elizabeth is capable of doing, but I know I can do something. And then ultimately that will, that will equate for your body and your mind and your spirituality, everything to align for you to know you can do this. Mm-hmm. This We we tend to get to this point where it feels so heavy and so big and the fertility journey is controlling us and we are in the passenger seat. And when you start to create and having that knowing of I'm I'm able to do this, I can do this. The fertility takes the passenger seat and we take the driver's seat back and the control. And you start living your life and putting things on your calendar again and knowing that you will get to the other side and you just don't give up hope, please, is like mm-hmm. the the number one thing. Know that you too someday will have what you want. It might not look like you think it's going to look the path to getting there, but you can get there.
0: Mm, I love that. And just in closing and sort of on the same lines, I like to close out with a phrase or a saying or a cliche or something that you think about. Maybe someone told you or you tell your kids that resonates with you that you think about a lot.
1: So can I do two? Of course. One, I tell my kids every day and I tell all my people is you are extraordinary, meaning mm. There is nobody on this planet like you, and you are extraordinary. And the energy of that word is effing amazing and so powerful. And so I love that. And that kind of leads to my second one is empowered women empower women. And that's where I feel like, Abby, you and I are so aligned in this bigger picture of what this mission, uh, mission doesn't even seem like it touches the surface of what this is looking like, what we want yeah. for the world to see in this world of fertility and and the hope that it's there and what coaches and all the people can help provide for the, the people that are going with through it at the time. Mm,
0: I love both of those. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. We're going to link out to everywhere for everybody, but thank you so much for being here. I love you. Love and you I so love, always. I mean, I love that we just put an hour on our calendar every now and then to chit chat in front of everyone. It's the best. So good. <laughs> Okay, see you soon. Bye. Oh, thank you so much for listening to Elizabeth. We could go on and on all day about our clients and our businesses and how much we love helping women get to the families that they want. I also want to give a shout out to episode three guest, Ali Prado host of infertile af podcast she launched her ivf book today it's a children's book called work of art which i think is such a genius title as art is assisted reproductive technology and it's all about her story through her own art and it's available for pre-order you can find all the information on her handle infertile af stories and we'll be back next week we have a crazy episode next week i can't wait for you to hear it please let us know what you loved about this episode And if you think that somebody you know might benefit from it, please share it with them. While you're at it, follow us, rate and review, five stars, at Encircle Fertility, at The Fertility Check, at Abby Feeder. And I'll see you next week.